Hi, I'm Lisa Morton, founder of Roland Dransfield PR. In this episode of We Built This City, I wanted to reflect on the lessons I've learned from my guests this year. And if there's one thing that really stood out for me, it's the example of authentic leadership. What it means to lead with purpose and heart. Something that often comes up when I think of Mancunians is their ability to get to the heart of something. We won't stand for dishonesty and we're good at sussing out what someone is all about. We value authenticity and we look for it in our leaders. Not too long ago, we celebrated the time that Sir Richard Lees has spent leading this city. And this month, he handed over to Bev Craig to be the new leader of Manchester City Council with Joanne Roney as Chief Executive. Joanne is a brilliant example of authentic leadership and here she is talking about staying true to herself within her role. I think my integrity is very important to me. I think sometimes, like everyone, I'm human and I could have maybe done something better or handled that slightly differently or maybe I wasn't at my best behaviour. I didn't bring my best self to that conversation. I think some (laughs) we're all human, aren't we? And we all, um, you know, nobody's infallible. But I don't think I've ever compromised my integrity. I found some things difficult. You know, I I kind of was with Andy on this negotiation on the business support package with government. And I thought that was an odd process that I look back on and think that that felt disingenuous. And I find that difficult because we were doing evidence based arguments for what we needed as a support package for the city, not politics. I found that uncomfortable, shall we say. Mm. Uh, So, you know, you you, in this job, you walk those lines sometimes where you find yourself in situations where you think "Mm, I probably didn't sit too comfortable with me. But I don't think that's about my integrity being compromised. Uh, That's because I've got a real sense of knowing who I am and what I come from and where what I stand for. And actually, I've walked out of relationships because of integrity. So, you know, it's not going to get get compromised (laughs) in work, is it? When you're when you're when you're stronger of self and you know Mm. yourself you just and you get to a certain age I guess you're just not for having your integrity compromised but that's not to say I'm not infallible and I haven't got things to learn and I'm not um, always perfect by a long short but I think I'm pretty stable and pretty clear about who I am and what I stand for and what I and what I expect from others you know we don't deviate from that. Joanne talked about working with Greater Manchester's Mayor Andy Burnham there. And here's Andy reflecting on what it's been like being a leader over the past year. No, I do feel exhausted at times just because it's been relentless and it hasn't stopped since we did the first uh, podcast. One thing after another, things that you couldn't have ever envisaged being involved in, you know, incredible sort of roller coaster, really, Lisa, if I'm honest. But we're here, we're still standing, we're still together. City's coming back strong, which is what I've observed over the summer. The resilience of the place is amazing, isn't it? Mm, absolutely, it's fantastic to see. I mean, we've seen a greater Manchester that we thought we'd never see in our lives with literally empty streets, haven't we? The eerie, awful walking around those echoing streets. I mean, yeah. how did that feel for you as mayor walking around those streets at the well, time? It's kind of a year ago, almost to the day when I was in that protracted argument with the government. And I can remember doing those sort of impromptu press events on the streets and remembering just that, you know, how different and desolate it felt. And that kind of contributed to the, I don't know, the slightly unworldly mood of that moment, really. It mm. just felt odd on every level. And yeah, it was a very tough time for us, that wasn't it? You know, for everybody uh, yeah. living through that. And it's just so good to see 
the life coming back into the place over over the summer this year particularly yeah we had it tough I think there's no doubt about it but I was just helped all the way through by some of the amazing things people were doing the messages I was getting you know the strength of the place really came through to me and I, I actually won't forget that Lisa you know I think people conscious of what many of us were going through were kind of sending messages that really really helped it was it was great that was the mayor of greater manchester andy burnham the past two years have been fraught with uncertainty and so of course strong leadership has been crucial as you heard andy discuss there it's not been easy and it's really sorted out the wheat from the chaff in terms of who was willing to lead authentically marcian carico is the founder and managing director of mixed interiors and as you'll hear she had to make some very tough decisions as the leader of her business And I think for me, it was that anxiety every day of, Jesus, what do I do? And a good month into it, many walks through Didsbury, just, oh, God, right for wrong. And I think it was, you then go back to business 101. A decision, even if it's a bad one, is better than no decision. And that's when I decided quite early to make redundancies, knowing that actually I don't know when those jobs would have been available two people in my firm and it was horrific you know no one wants to do that no one wants to be part of doing that but it it saved the five people that are still in the business you know so we are a pretty honest open bunch of people obviously led by me so yes my heart is on my sleeve and I take that passion to every gig I do and I take that passion with every time it doesn't work out with a member of staff you know it's just you have to be real you do things as compassionately as you can and you also understand that individuals are going through their own shit people with in small apartments looking at the same form walls you know so that's why we were we insisted on having a brew every morning on teams it's half an hour we don't talk about work we and it's just but you can get a sense then whether someone needs a little chat afterwards or whatever and that's how we're managing i'm not sure it's brilliant but it's kind of all right for now mm. and i think once the decisions once you make a decision and i think this has been the hardest thing about the pandemic it's the control has been taken away yeah. from us entirely and as business owners as long as you can kind of see even this far in a, you're, you're good you just you plan and you plot along and off you go not knowing the when has just been really really tough and i guess it's um for a control freak like me it it's made me learn listen there's just some shit that literally is out of your control yeah. so you can't sweat it too much so listen delighted to still be here delighted i still employ some people delighted that the market still wants us and and off we go again but what the future holds i i don't know i'm just keeping things very very um safe and risk averse <laughs> Not so long ago, world leaders gathered together for COP26 to discuss the climate crisis. It's clearly a huge issue that requires bold leadership. Authentic leaders are going to be crucial. Leaders who can see the importance of defending those people and habitats that don't have a seat at the table. Someone who sums that up so well is Manchester's youth activism leader, Emma Greenwood. Emma attended COP26 and there's no doubt she speaks truth to power. For me... Environmental activism isn't just about the environment itself. It interchanges so many different themes. It's an intersectional topic. So it includes racism, it includes racial justice, it includes social justice, it includes environmental justice. And so I think to 
look at all of these movements as separate entities is never going to solve any one of them because you can't have racial justice without environmental justice and vice versa. And so by an environmental feminist, I like to see myself as somebody that wants to try and solve all of these problems because I just don't think you can do one on its own. And looking at them as individual aspects, I don't think helps anyone. Because I've heard you say that you have been raised to believe in equality and to use your privilege to help others. So can you expand on that? Oh, most definitely. My parents have played a huge part in instilling within me this view that I do have a lot of privilege, whether it's because I was raised in the UK, where we have privilege to kind of be able to strike and do activism in a safe way. I've got white privilege in the sense that my skin colour protects me, but I've also got certain things that act against me. So my gender obviously is a big one that I have I've have had problems with in the past at school. Kind of, I love doing subjects like technology and computer science. And in technology, I was the only girl that took it for GCSE. And so I think I've always realised that there's both things that I have working for me and against me. And if I have that, then there must be people out there who have so many things working against them. And it's just incredibly hard for them Mm -hmm. to push for the change they need and for the justice that they need on their behalf. And so I've always sort of seen it as my obligation to use the privilege that I've got to help lift their voices up. Organisational psychologist, author and former NBA player John Amici literally wrote the book on authentic leadership. I've read a lot of books about this subject matter and I have to say probably none of them have ever impacted me quite like The Promises of Giants. And in it, he really breaks down the qualities that make a great leader and he pulls no punches that anybody can lead and anybody can be a giant. (laughs) <laughs> I don't like the expression of power just because you can. I think one of the worst things leaders do is make decisions. And then when people ask why, their only answer is because. Mm. That's a power trip. And that's the route to dickheadishness. Because to me, that's the Sith side of things in a Star Wars sense. It's amazing. And you'll know this. You, you see people all the time. And there's this interesting combination of people who think they are gods. These are usually men. Um, if I'm honest, if we're honest, it's usually men who are completely unaware of any of their faults or foibles. And so they haven't viewed themselves critically. But then there's this big swathe of people when you get out there and talk to them, even highly accomplished people who externally look incredibly successful, whose success is always corrupted as if they are on a daily basis pouring vinegar into cream (laughs) because they have never been able to view themselves critically, but without this kind of lens of you're ugly, you're bad, you're stupid, you're not as good as you should have been, that voice in their head that continually assaults them. And, And I think if you can get past that, if you can really be vigilant to that voice in your head, that allows you to be free to be a much more authentic leader. One of the other ones I talk about is vulnerability in one of the chapters, because we've grown up with this idea that all leaders should be strong men and it is an archetype, right? And it is a man and it's a strong man. That means you're certain you're never without knowledge, you're omniscient, you know, everything you're invulnerable. You can't be hurt. You're never uncertain. You're never scared or anxious. And it's a terrible archetype for a leader. Mm. We, We need to embrace the fact that we're vulnerable. We need to embrace the fact that we don't know everything as leaders. And that's what garners us the kind of followers we need. Mm. When Manchester Barber and founder of the School Phase Foundation, Jed King, appeared on the very first episode of We Built This City, he talked to me about life and leadership, and some of those lessons still stay with me now. It's very easy to become a leader and, and tell everyone what to do, and you know, you'll do what I say because I'm, I'm, above, I'm above you, I'm in charge. And that really is a negative vehicle to, 
to fulfill the need of significance. We all need to feel significant. And when people behave like that, um, that's all they're doing. They might not be bad people, but if they're saying, you'll do what I say because I'm above you, it's a negative vehicle to fulfill the need of significance. So I think when you can lift people up and create a leader, it's a really positive vehicle to to, to fulfill the need of significance because that makes me feel significant. When I've watched Dan, who is the manager of the Stretford shop, he was brought up in the care system and he was um, he went to jail after that, you know, at a young age, and, and he learned barbering in jail. Um, Dan is a, a wonderful leader. You know, it'd be, it'd be easy for me to go into that Stretford shop and say, right, you do it this way and you do it that way because that's what I say because I'm above you all. But no, you know, that's um, BS. You know, the, the, the right way to do it is to create another leader. So I'm working closely with Dan on a one-on-one basis, you know, showing him how to lead. And he's making distinctions that I can't make. You know, you create a leader, they're more, they're more powerful than you are because they're, they're their version of it. And it's amazing to see that. That's wonderful because you actually can then learn from other people yourself as a leader and I think you never stop uh, learning. And yep. being a, a learner, not a knower, is important. Yep. I think, the, I think the, the height of wisdom is knowing that we know nothing. <laughs> well said. So for me, great leadership also means listening and learning from others. That also means being humble enough to see other people's ways of being and doing. Sid Williams is the founder of the homeless charity Embassy. And as you can hear, he learned from others in a particularly clever way. We thought, wow, how great is it to not just serve a community, but live in it and experience what it's like and... I remember the kid saying to me, Sid, where, when are you going to stop wearing your Christian clothes? And I said, what do you mean by Christian clothes? And they said, you know, jeans. Only Christians wear jeans. This was their worldview at the time. And I was like, I don't think that's true. I think pretty much everybody from anywhere on the planet wears jeans. They're like, no, nah, I'm not round here, mate. And I was like, well, actually, you've got a point. Yeah, if I see someone further up Rochdale Road and they're in jeans, they're probably from church. <laughs> so I was like, right, okay, fair enough. So I gave them a budget. And they took me, they wanted to take me to Bury New Road for some knocked off stuff. And I was like, look, lads, that doesn't sit with my morals. So they took me to JD Sports in the Arndale and bought me a blue uh, Adidas tracksuit um, and, uh, and matching trainers. And then they personally shaved my head. And I drew the line at bling. I was like, I will not have bling. It was like joining a tribe, honestly. It was fantastic. And... Um, Looking back, I realised that they were playing a prank on me that day because they all wore black tracksuits and they put me in this blue one, <laughs> which obviously was a joke, but at the time I didn't see it. So that obviously was a source of great humour for them. But, um, <laughs> for bank humour, Yeah, totally. And, uh, but do you know what changed was um, I realised when I got to like pedestrian crossings, cars that used to stop for me just kept driving and things like this. Like I was like, oh, wow, now that I look like I'm working class, people treat me different wow. um, I also found that teenagers who had blanked me up till then suddenly let on to me and wanted to talk to me I thought wow these are this, isn't this interesting um, so I, I think it was just a big learning curve for me Sid is leading a new project called Embassy Village which will provide 40 homes for Manchester's homeless and vulnerable men and Sid is a man who's leading by walking in another man's tracksuits I know authenticity can be used quite a lot and it's a bit nebulous for me at times, but it's about showing up, being vulnerable and keeping it real. And when it comes to keeping it real, there are few people that come to mind quicker than Rowetta, the singer with the Happy Mondays. 
Yeah, so I don't earn as much money maybe as other people or I'm not on television all the time, which would probably make me more money because I just do things that I really genuinely love now and um, and I have to really love them. You know, just things that I really believe in and not doing, you know, like you won't find me doing um what's what mr and mrs or anything like that for the, or, I, 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 was, I was like that years ago i was yeah, yeah. it was like that years ago when they said uh, would i do okay magazine at home with with rowetta for okay magazine when i'd done the x-factor and i didn't want to because like, i lived with my son at the time who didn't want cameras in the house and knowing everybody knowing where we live remember i've been an abused wife i don't want my ex-husband yeah. seeing where i live and how i live exactly i think you can get yourself into trouble saying look what i've got so that so what the okay magazine said was you don't have to use your house and that's even worse <laughs> just choose what you like living. and then and then they offer you more money and then you go no and then they go and there's another time but no oh someone else who keeps it real is actor and presenter Gemma atkinson When I spoke to her in the summer, her integrity just shone through. She keeps it real even when it's really tough to do so. And it's not just keeping it real as in all the good stuff, it's the bad stuff as well. Mm. Being able to express and talk and communicate when the shit hits the fan, so Mm. to speak. Because I think so many people find a shame in that. They want it to always be positive and always be seen as the outgoing one and Life's not like that. There's always going to be a time in life where you'll go through a grieving process or a process where you don't know what to do with yourself. Um, And part of keeping it real is sitting back and saying, right, I might need a bit of help at the minute and not being afraid to ask for it. Yeah, that's true. And I think it's been probably over the last 12 months, that's been very difficult for a lot of people because Mm. it was very easy to be isolated and not have those difficult conversations and there is shame attached to feeling not 100 percent, isn't there yeah um and i think we're programmed to try and avoid pain when sometimes you know the pain is, is sometimes what what makes us and what helps us grow if yeah, we get the support it's, it's kind of i i remember years ago i was in a relationship i shouldn't have been in it was the wrong one and everyone was saying oh my god you're so good together and this and i was thinking i'm i'm really not really very happy and I actually there's I speak about it in my book like openly about I wasn't feeling great Mm. and it was only when everyone left everyone went home my mum came round again knocked on my door and I opened the door and she did the classic mum tilt the head tilt (laughs) and um and literally all she said was you know you don't have to go through with this if you don't want to and that was it I burst into tears and I've realized I've been keeping it in for so long. And I I almost just like physically collapsed onto her, burst into tears, crying. She went, come on, let's put the kettle on. Let's have a chat. Um, and we had a cup of tea and I just said, I don't, I just can't go through with it. She said, well, it's fine. No worries. Tell them, break off your relationship. We'll sort it this end. Mm-hmm. And it was such a relief. Like I felt like a weight had been lifting off my shoulders. And now with Mia, I think I'd hate for her to think she could never be open with stuff. You know, I'd I'd much rather her tell me so we can try and help because speaking to my mum, well, I, I say speaking to her, it was my mum who came to me because as a mother, she knew. She said, I could tell, you know, a mum knows when the kid's not 100%. Um, but it was just that literally one sentence, you don't have to go through with this if you don't want to. That's all I needed. And it was it was brilliant. It was like a new chapter from then on. It was like shedding the skin. Yeah. And I had to text everyone saying, oh, I'm, I'm single again. And the girls were like, brilliant, let's go out. Let's plan a night out finally. And I was like, all oh, right, okay. It's not a bad thing after all. <laughs> Gemma Atkinson demonstrating one of Roland Dransfield's values perfectly there, keeping it real. 
Leading authentically can also mean speaking your truth and not being afraid to shine a light on those parts of yourself that you might want to hide. And that's just what actor, writer and HIV positive activist Nathaniel Hall has done. The journey that he's been on to be true to himself really is quite amazing. Turning his story of contracting HIV at just 16 into a show called The First Time. I've been making shows with other people about telling their own stories and being authentic. I'd made this amazing show with a group of young people at Contact in Manchester um, about sex and sexuality. So it was with the young, their young company and they were so bold and so brave with what they brought to that. And I was like, I need to take some of my own medicine here. <laughs> and like, you know, I'm asking kids to do this in a sense and they're being braver than I am. And so I just went, okay, why didn't you make a show about yourself? In fact, that's what forced my hand to tell my family because the ball was in motion. I got a commission to make the show and I was like, well, I have to tell them now. And what happened, something really magic happened in that moment because all the anxieties and pressures that I had on myself all went. I mean, there was different anxieties and pressures, but it was kind of an all or nothing moment. All those criticisms, those artistic criticisms, you know, the, the thing in your head that says when you've written something, oh, that's not good enough or people won't like that that all went because I was like it was all or nothing I was like I'm going to throw everything into this thing professionally personally and I remember actually after the first we'd done the first four shows the premiere I'd been through this media whirlwind I'd been in a BuzzFeed news like BBC BBC News BBC Breakfast on the breakfast couch with Charlie and Nagger you know just this complete whirlwind and then I went to get my hair cut the week after and I sat in the barber's chair in a kind of kind of macho barbers, you know, that environment as a gay man, you always feel a little bit on edge and anxious. And the guy asked me, what do I do? And I nearly didn't say it. And I, was, I just had this moment where I was like, you can't stand up on stage and speak to BuzzFeed News and Charlie and Nagger and say all this stuff about living boldly with HIV and then not say it in this environment. That's really the cold face of activism. And Manchester's known, isn't it, for its activists. We're a city with a long history of leaders being true to themselves in that respect. Manx also value honesty and discretion from the leaders. Lawyer Geraldine Ryan knows so well what that means for her and shows us how a good reputation will take you far in our city. If I were to say something indiscreet, why would you then trust me mm. with your your secret? So it's twofold, even if it's not something that the SRA might be interested in. It's just inappropriate. Mm. It's totally inappropriate. Mm. I'm dealing with people's businesses, with issues that are of paramount importance to them. The only cases I'll ever mention are ones that have been reported in law reports mm. because they are then in the public domain and that's so. I, you know, that's, that's fair game. I can mention things like that. But other than that, it's just not right. Mm. But even non-professional stuff, you know, you're definitely somebody that doesn't gossip and, and no. doesn't know. And I've always admired that about you. Well, I don't. I wouldn't like somebody to do it about no. me. I think that's one of the things, isn't it? You know, treat people how you'd like yeah. to be treated. Yeah. And, you know, so that is how I carry on, really. And Manchester, it's a big city, but it's a small community, oh, yeah. isn't it? So that's you on the you're long only career. Two, yeah, <laughs> you're only two ways it steps away from connection, aren't you? Yeah. And you sort of hear somebody, you know, I, you'll be amazed if you sat in a cafe or a bar and you hear, and you sort of listen and think, gosh, they're talking about so-and-so. How do they know that that's <laughs> no. not my sister, best friend, whoever the heck it might be, you know, and they're, they're just wittering away. Yeah. How silly. Authenticity shines through all aspects of life once you let it in. It's not just about the way you conduct yourself at work, but with family and friends too. 
When you live in line with your values, it deepens all your relationships. So I'll leave you with these words from John Amici on how to do just that. When I was growing up, two sisters, myself, we had uh, a list of, a rota, we called it, a very posh. We had a rota of jobs that we had to do, washing up, drying up, hoovering. And I remember one particular occasion, I felt like I hadn't seen my mum in ages because she got up before we got up to go to school and it was out of the house and she came back after we were supposed to be in bed. So sometimes we literally would go a week without seeing her till the weekend. And I thought, I'd, I'd miss my mum, I'm going to stay up, which was taking my life into my own hands to be up after bedtime. And so I waited for her. She came in. She looked exhausted. I ignored that. I ran up to her and gave her a big hug and, and, and kept on just pouring my words out at her. I love you so much, and that's why I'm up, and don't, don't, don't hate me for being up after bedtime. I just love you so much. And then she wasn't really responding in the way I'd hoped. And she was looking past me to the rotor that was on the wall in the corridor. And eventually she kind of moved away from me. And she, she's like, did you hoover the landing? <laughs> and I was like, no, I didn't hoover the landing, but I was just staying up because I love you so much. And she said, if you love me, you'd hoover the landing. <laughs> and I, it's always stuck with me. I, don't, I must have been eight or something at the time, but it's always stuck with me. The idea that saying something profound about someone else is easy. Demonstrating your profound love or connection or loyalty or whatever to someone else, that's the hard bit, but it's also the meaningful bit. It's also the thoughtful bit. You know, as I reflect back now, so demonstrating that authentic connection, that authentic love, that meaningful relationship. That's the thing that is hard to do, but it's also the thing that's the most important to do. We Built This City will be back on the 30th of December with Manchester's very own Carrie Bradshaw, Siobhan Johnston, sales and business development manager currently at Hits Radio, and who is the epitome of the description of somebody who can sell snow to Eskimos. Find out how someone who got stuck in the cells at Kendall's and stroked Ronaldo's recently waxed legs has been part of helping to build this city. Thank you for listening to We Built This City and I hope you have a brilliant festive season with those you love. <laughs>